Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. So, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that I get to do it amongst colleagues and genuine friends. And I don't use the term friends loosely. Um, so today I have the pleasure of being joined by a colleague, a comrade, a friend um, who I've known for over a decade at this point, um, Ade Cox. Ade, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, thank you, Dr. Fenton, for that, that, that warm welcome. And it is a pleasure and honor to be a friend for over a decade. So I appreciate you uh, invited, inviting me. Um, Onto the podcast. Uh, my name is Adey Cox. I am a recently former. Um, when I say former, within the last what four to six weeks, uh, assistant principal of a elementary school in Brooklyn, New York, um, where I served as assistant principal, and it's been a great pleasure. Oh, wonderful! So. Um... Why don't you start off by uh, sharing a little bit with us about just a brief overview of what you did in that role and also share with us what you enjoyed about it. Um, as an assistant principal, uh, which is, you know, interesting of like the idea of like the multitudes of hat that I, I had to wear. So in my role specifically at this school, um, I was overseeing uh, K-2. Um, in addition to that, I was the um, IB coordinator. So IB is the International Black Correct Program. Um, it's a this transdisciplinary curriculum that we were implementing. It's a very recognized uh, curriculum, and I was responsible for the team and the rollout of this um, curriculum uh, in order for us to be authorized. In addition to that, I was the special education coordinator. Um, as well as liaison and oversaw um, the school and the school and safety protocols of the school as well. Um, and to think about my role and some of the things that I just truly deeply enjoyed about being an assistant principal and even in from the capacity that I had to oversee is just. You know, just walking in every day and seeing joy in student faces, um, whether it be in, through the academic experience, whether it be engaging with each other inside and outside the building, be it like recess, um, being in a space where I saw teachers uh, who took their craft seriously and in addition to taking it seriously, being in a place where they generally would like they they, they they generally love being there, as well as being a, a servant member of the community and creating this uh, experiential experience to support students to become intrinsic learners um, and listen to the discourse around those conversations uh, brought me joy, especially from one of the biggest things in that role too. Like you have to really exercise foresight. So there's a lot of times 
this thing that you're trying to create um, in the moment, teachers or students, they may not see the purpose of it. And through putting systems in place and watching execution of those systems, you know, to support that end goal, the process was something that I, I truly enjoyed because um, as a school building leader, your job is to almost like see things that people may not see in the moment and making sure everyone stayed accord. I love that. Um, and that is a lot of hats. And this is one of the things that I, I think is significantly underappreciated about people who work in school buildings is just how many different things you become responsible for. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that, especially that bit about uh, foresight. As you were talking, I, I, I wanted to sort of call something out really quickly for our listeners. So listeners, I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this, but I have done uh, my dissertation, I should say, was uh, based on Black men, Black male special education um, professionals. And one of the things that was uncovered in that study and just in many other studies that have been published was around the challenges that Black men face in school buildings for a number in a number of capacities. Um, and one of the things we saw is that um, Black men tend to be fast-tracked towards leadership positions because of their gender and because of this pervasive thought that Black men can and should um, manage behavior. Um, so me Black men tend to be fast-tracked into dean positions, into uh, leadership positions um, in the system. One of the things that I appreciate about you, Ide, though, is that you took the time to hone the craft of teaching in the classroom before you transitioned into leadership. Um, so I applaud you for that because I think that matters. And I think that uh, says a lot about your commitment to the to the craft. Um, but I do want to ask you, because there's other things that came up in that study and just, as I mentioned, in other studies around Black men in the education profession and just the challenges that they face, particularly once they get to the leadership level, what, if any, uh, and I'm imagining there are some, are, are some of those challenges that you face, particularly around the intersection of your race and gender? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, just, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you no, know, part of the, the the job is, you know, constantly being on stage, you know, and there are always going to be things that come up, uh, which is just the nature of the job that, you know, you have to ask yourself, is this because uh, uh, the, the position or is this because um, me being a Black leader where, you know, they might, you know, whether it be staff or family want to go down the inquiry loop a little further than um, anticipated. So there, I think there were there there were a couple moments um, where I had those experiences. Even, for example, like I, I remember my my first couple months at at my school. Um, just to give you a little more context, my school is, um, uh, I would say, it was in a fairly predominantly. Uh, progressive, affluent white neighborhood. And, you know, there there were elements of times where, you know, there, if there were incidents or in fact, particularly with the um, uh, black boys at the school, there were moments of like infraction, whether it be, uh, you know, high level, low level behaviors. And it was always like by default to reach out to Mr. Cox. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, there's a part of me that doesn't mind in the sense that like I I, I pride myself in being uh you know uh a, a safekeeper or a vanguard for black and black and brown children. But then it became that feeling of I can't tell if I'm assistant principal or a dean someday. You know, um this 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 default mechanism to like reach out to me for low level behaviors, which um there's actually like a ladder a ladder of protocol of, you know, how do you do outreach? And for some reason, and part of that was just in my response being forcing, it was just, I think innately, um I it just felt like, well, let's just, you know, let's see what Mr. Cox is going to do, you know. And, you know, one of the things I had to establish around admin and staff is, you know, <laughs> I am, I'm here to be uh, a liberator, not an overseer. I, I, and, I, and I say it is important to, like, to understand, like, we're talking about, like, low-level uh, infractions as well, where, like, you know, these are things that you post to, you know, when you build a rapport with students, really have conversation around. So there were there was elements where I had to like really question myself. This feels like deaning right now, and this is not what like I signed up for. I'm supposed to be like an instructional leader, and not that I have any problem with it, but it's like this is this is a group effort, not you know Mr. Cox. Um, but what what was interesting is um, you know one of the things uh, we have like a a gifted and talented program. I, I'm not really a big fan of using those words, but this is a system that um, uh, we operate in. And, you know, every morning um, I would um, do morning arrival. So I'm like the first person that, you know, particularly the younger kids would see just to greet and welcome them. And I would be out there for like a good 15, 20 minutes each day. And when I tell you those families that, came in specifically from, um, I want to say like the gifted and talented um, cohort. No matter how much I smile like my pearly whites uh, or try to make eye contact, they would not acknowledge me standing in front of the school building the entire time. And wow. this is a course of over a year. And I always found that interesting that the space that you're studying your children who Essentially, it's my job to make sure that they're safe, hmm. not just uh, academically, but social mostly as well. Not being able to acknowledge me being in that space. In most moments, I have to ask myself: Is again, is this, is this, is, this, is it because of the position or the or the color of the person that's standing here that my existence can even be acknowledged as you uh, into uh, as you send your child off into uh, our school building. Yeah, I appreciate that because that was actually one of the things I learned in the classroom um, was that wisdom of not taking things personally because a lot of times it really the, the challenges you experience don't really have much to do with you. Um, but it's also hard because teaching and learning is a deeply personal thing, especially for us, you know, um, making these efforts spe specifically to support black and brown children um, knowing that there may not be many others in the building who are looking at them in a certain light, they're not looking at them in the light that they need to be looked upon in order to be successful. So 
um, that that can be a significant, I think, a significant emotional and cognitive low. So I, I appreciate I appreciate that um, ability in 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 folks. Um, I'm curious then, like from your perspective, leading in a school building and in a, a school community. Um, what do you think is the most significant shift that needs to happen in our schools, right? So if you think about the specific context of your school, but also the knowledge that you hold as someone who's been in this for over a decade um, and knows the like the larger education landscape, what are some of the shifts that you think need to need to be made? And what's your vision for that change or that shift? Yeah, well, well where, do, where do we start, right? Um... I think specific to my experience as a school building leader, one of the things that just kind of kept coming up to me is, um, you know, that was important to me was creating a shift around teacher mindset. And, you know, uh, to give you some examples, uh, as I mentioned, I was uh, the international baccalaureate coordinator, right? And this is like, in order to become an IB school, um, you have to go through this like authorization process. So, um, and it can take up to like a year or two, but, it, and you have different deliverables that you need to like, you know, cut off in order to, to use those. So there's no written curriculum to be, um, there's no cookie cutter curriculum that you're given in order to be an IB school. It, it's a, it just, it's just a lot of these like inquiry brace principles and some transdisciplinary themes that you, uh, you connect different contents and discipline to build out the curriculum. And one of the things I discovered in that experience is that there was a, it was a hard shift to have teachers see themselves as not just teachers, but curriculum writers, right? Mm. When, it's, when it's like, well, if you've been teaching for X amount of years, in some capacity, I would assume you have to create a curriculum. I know for me, when I was teaching, um, teaching became more, I got to say, joyous when I stopped using the curriculum and was given the space to actually create my own curriculum. Mm -hmm. um, and that that was that was a groundbreaking impact, not only for me and how I showed up in the classroom, as well as for the students. So the idea that having like uh, a volume of uh, teachers that ha they had a hard time seeing themselves uh, as curriculum writers, as opposed to someone that's given a curriculum um, and even switching the mindset around that. Because um, essentially in order to be community responsive or culture responsive in, in any capacity, there's a level of, uh, I gotta say, asset mapping you have to do with your, your your class and the community that you're in. That no matter what uh, curriculum that you're given, you have to personalize it, right? Because the nine times out of ten, the curriculum that's being developed isn't for the students that's in front of you, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the department of education. Mm -hmm. So the idea that so it 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 it, it, it made me it made me really reflect on their practice where it's like well then you haven't been personalizing the curriculum you was getting before if you have to now have a little bit more legwork in creating the curriculum and collaboration so seeing that seeing teachers having a, a hard time adjusting to this transitioning from 
not just uh, people that are given lesson plans, but curriculum writers and adapting to it um, kind of made me realize the level of complacency we, like we've been operating from um, as an education system. Whereas like, okay, well you take this and you know, and boom, hopefully it creates some results. So in that whole process, one of the things I try to do is try to like humanize the experience too, right? Because I mean, besides teaching how to wear all these different hats, you know, it's a very human centric experience that, um, you know, it can become spiritually taxing um, and just mentally taxing as well. But the more you, you humanize it, the more it's easy to, you know, live in that space. I think there needs to be a more focus on the preparatory process when training new teachers on what are the mindset and the expectations are you coming into this uh, field with and what do you think the experience is supposed to be, right? Um, and uh, allowing them to know, like, this is a very, um, there's always going to be adjustment to the curriculum. There's always going to be uh, adjustment to the space. But the idea that you feel that some, something is supposed to look one way um, that's not human-centered or not personalized, I think has a tremendous impact on, on student outcome. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a tremendous impact, in fact. And, you know, it just speaks to sort of the cookie cutter um, culture of our education systems, which, you know, are founded in the industrial age, which was kind of meant to be this like sort of cookie cutter factory. Um, and you're seeing, I think what you're mentioning, in my opinion, just kind of like speaks to that. The last thing I want to touch on, right, is just as you mentioned at the top of our, our, our conversation that you're you newly uh, former building leader. Um, I would love to speak a little bit about that as we wrap, because teacher attrition is a huge issue. We've been experiencing a teacher shortage for um, some time now. And I know in New York City, um, the most recent report, I think Chalkbeat reported that the, the district lost about 2,000 teachers Mm -hmm. um this past year uh, which is the most in over a decade I think they said and you know it's a significant issue um but it's an issue that I understand very intimately because I am you know one of those people who left the classroom um and so I just like to hear hear you speak about your decision to leave um and just to leave with some hope right like what do you think needs to happen in order to ensure that you know, the, the, the public education system doesn't become a leaky pipe that, you know, we don't just continue to lead, lose really good, solid teachers, right? So share with us your decision to leave, what, what, what impacted that decision? And then how do you think we can address this issue around attrition? Well, you know, first and foremost, like, it was like a very bittersweet uh, decision I had to make um, in order to leave my job. Um, 
as an assistant principal. It was something that I, I, I truly, I truly enjoyed, you know, the, the good and the bad that comes with, you know, being a school building leader. Again, this, this idea of joy in the learning process and figuring out the things that can bring joy was something that I thought about on a regular basis. And because of that, um, you know, being in that mode of just problem solving, how do we make this better? And seeing the results of those things, um, I, I, I was elated by my entire experience. Um, I think for me, part of the reason that, so I, I think that was just important to name. Um, uh, it has its challenges, but it's, it's one of the most rewarding work that you can possibly do. I know for me, becoming an assistant principal almost like reinvigorated my passion for education. Mm. And I think part of it too was just like, oh no, I'm I'm responsible for everyone's outcome here. So mm. the idea of being that responsible is almost like I was always I was I'm always fascinated by like pilots and. Uh, you know, bus uh, conductors or train conductors and things of that nature, or even like doctors, because I'm like, that's such, like you have people's lives in your head, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I, I, I approach it with the same mindset, like you know, people out, particularly students, uh, their future dependent on every decision that we make and the, and the experience that we crave for them. And, you know, leading with that, like really just reinvigorated my my passion for education because one thing that any educator can attest to is that you know as because there's burnout then you become compassion fatigue it's like it's it's a it's an in and out process and sometimes you do that it's, it's okay to say you need to step back mm-hmm. you know you know in order to support yourself like i, I remember checking my blood pressure on a regular basis mm. um and being significantly higher than it needs to, no matter what time of day I, uh, I check my blood, where well, I actually got concerned around it. Mm. And, but I bring that up because like, be, because of a new opportunity, I, was, I would have still done that for the next four or five years if I could, you know? Mm. Um, because I just, I was so so connected to the work. So that, it didn't matter what what type of toilet was taken on me. But yes, so taking a step back, uh, part of, couple of reasons that I ended up transitioning, um, you have to have shared vision and alignment. And I think that, especially when you're leading the school, but I think there were times that might've been uh, misalignment on, on the approach to the work. And, you know, when you're passionate about this, these things that, that can lead to a level of frustration, mm-hmm. you know, I think part of the reason that, you know, the attrition rate has become so high in education is that, you know, they're, you know, from school to school, they're, you know, people operating from different level of um, connection to the work. So, you know, when you're all in, um, it's hard for you not to want the same for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there's no real um, measurement tool to, you know, um, create those benchmarks for, you know, when I say real measurement tool, like there's a system in place that don't allow you to to hold accountable, um, you know, 
that 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 the same expectations that you have for everyone else because again our our, our students' future is dependent on it, and I think there comes a time where dealing with a lot of the bureaucracy around that um, educators might just get frustrated, you know, um, because again this is a, a human centered work, so you, you even though you try not to take things personal, it is personal. Yeah, especially um, with young people, lives depend on it. The idea that the there's different level of expectations, uh, especially like in a public school system, that can can be a little discouraging uh, for educators who get into the work and are trying to really be active change agent. Mm-hmm. So dealing with that and having to like you know you know go against a lot of bureaucracy, I can see how someone would be easily frustrated around that. And uh, listeners, I must uh, be transparent here and say that uh, I may have mentioned this before. Uh, Ade, as I said, is a comrade. I mean that quite literally. We taught in the same middle school and we've now co-founded this amazing nonprofit that we're we're all so excited about, uh, the Elevator Institute. So as we close out, Ade, we always invite our guests on that note to share um, ways that our listeners can like keep in touch with you, follow the work that you do, et cetera. So any social media handles that you would like to share with our listeners, please go for it. Yes, listeners, listeners, if you're listening, um, just food for thought, grab a plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but please, please follow uh, on our Instagram uh, at the Ella Baker Institute. Uh, as Ella Baker is spelled E-L-L-A-B-A-K-E-R-I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E. Uh, look, look us up on Instagram. We are active on uh, specifically on Instagram. You can follow our Twitter, but it, it may not be as active as our Instagram. And check us out at um, the ElaBakerInstitute.org. Ella Ajay, as always, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you. Thanks. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. And that wraps our two-part series with our school leaders. Thank you again, all, for your perspectives and voices. We appreciate them greatly. Next week, we wrap our series up with um, Anishé Wright talking about disruptive education. And you stay tuned for a wonderful conversation. And the following week, the three of us get together just to discuss what really emerged throughout this series. I mean, so many nuggets of wisdom and insight and ideas we look forward to really um, digesting and reflecting on together. Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or just want to be part of the conversation, email us at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. This has been a production of Leon Media Network. I'm Nick Saveri. I'm Patrice Benton. And I'm Stacey Schultz. We'll see you next time.